Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law. A personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle, so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast, version 224, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertain, people. We got a lot to dazzle and entertain you with, as always. The Cowboys, there's always something going on. We have made it. We are officially in draft month here as we record this in early April, looking towards the end of the month. We'll have that conversation Believe it or not, the Texas Rangers, their regular season opens on Friday coming up at the end of the week. So we'll take a look at what they may have to offer. We've got the NCAA title game coming up on Monday night. So a lot, a lot to get underway with that we'll cover throughout the course of this podcast. But we start you off with that number and the name, Robert Greening, the attorneys at Greening Law. If you've been hurt in a car accident, if you've experienced malpractice, if you are injured on the premises of a business, now is the time you need to call the lawyers at Greening Law, 972-934-8900. They will be your fierce legal competitor against these insurance companies. Dude, what you got to understand is Greening Law does well at what they do because they handle everything. They handle everything from start to finish. They answer questions that you didn't know were supposed to be asked. They give you answers to questions that you didn't know existed. They help you out every inch along the way. I like it, according to Matt, because you don't have to think for yourself. They handle everything. And the biggest thing to me is they don't get paid unless you get paid. And so it's never a question of just how hard they're working for you. It's easy, man. It's an easy call. It's a free consultation. If you feel like you've got a case, give the lawyers a call. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. So let's get this thing started. And we've got a lot about the Cowboys. We're going to get into the draft and whatnot. But I thought it was interesting because, as you point out, the Dallas Morning News had an article in, I guess it was today's paper. I, I don't get the paper, yeah. obviously, so it's online for me. <laughs> but DallasNews.com, I mean, you go there, and one of the top stories is Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones' family are front and center in the offseason. Why now? And about all the things that are happening, uh, the, the pending divorce of Jerry Jones' daughter, Charlotte Jones, you've got that, you've got the... 
whatever child you want to call out of wedlock that Jerry Jones paid off. You've got all this stuff with accusations of voyeurism and, and all this with Rich Dalrymple and everything. A lot going on with the Jerry Jones family here this offseason. Yeah, but I think the only question that matters is, does it affect your football team? Uh, and my, my initial reaction is no, it doesn't have virtually any effect on the football team. It's, uh, it's scandalous. And uh, it's cool for us to talk about as a podcast host or as if you're in sports talk radio or if, or if you're a reporter. But um, the question is, does it affect the football team? And I don't think so because, one, I just, I just don't think this is unusual in a family, in a billionaire family, bro. I mean, I think billionaire families have all kind of stuff going on that we don't know about. This just happened to come to light, but they get sued all the time. Uh, you know, I'm not the moral police, but they have kids out of wedlock all the time. This, to me, is just normal life of a billionaire family. Why do you think there are TV shows like Dynasty? Why do you think soap operas are always built around powerful families in these towns yeah. and have all this drama going on? Because that's what happens when you're rich and powerful. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that it, it has any effect on the actual team. You know, I, I understand why people think, Jerry Jones, how do you run a team? How do you essentially general manage a team when you have all this stuff going on off the field? But as you've kind of pointed out, the reality of it is, you know, Jerry Jones has, what, 100 different businesses? He's, he's got investments all over the place. He's always had a lot of other things going on. Yeah, you know, one time I asked Jerry, like, this is at a point where he had, I believe it was 76 companies that he owned. And it was uh, in California might have been at the sky bar one night but we were talking there was a group of us talking and the group had dwindled to three or four and i remember asking like you got all these businesses how many businesses do you own i think he said 76 i go how in the world could you possibly be knowing what's going on in 76 businesses and he said easy he said every one of those people have an appointed time where they call me once a once a month and we have a meeting on the phone that at the end it was a conference call once a month with the people in charge of the company. And that's how I keep informed with all my companies. So, you know, however long that meeting takes, an hour, 30 minutes, whatever it takes. And then he's on to the next one. Um, but so that's the big picture. The macro look, I think the micro look is who finds the players on this team for the most part, Matt? Will McClay. Right. Who does most of the contracts? Steven. And if it's not Steven, it's Todd Williams, his assistant, it's Adam who works with Todd Williams, it's their salary cap guy. You know, and so what I'm saying is Jerry is in charge of it all and in charge of nothing at the same time. Kind of like Mike McCarthy. And I'm, be, I'm see, you're laughing because I knew you would, but I'm being serious. Like, Mike McCarthy don't run the offense. Matter of fact, they brought in uh, Schottenheimer to help Kellen Moore do the offense. He sure as hell don't run the defense. Mike Quinn does that. Uh, we know the crazy man runs the special teams. So what exactly does Mike McCarthy do? Because he's in charge of everything and nothing all at the same time. Mm. Well, that's Jerry Jones. He's in charge of everything and nothing all at the same time. So he comes in at the end. We need these three players, Jerry. We're leaning toward this. What do you think? Oh, I think. What do you guys think? Oh, sounds good to me. Hey, we can't get a deal done with Randy Gregory. It's about to fall apart. Hey, Jerry, do you want to step in? Oh, Randy, don't leave. Oh, you want this clause taken out? El Paso. See you later. Um, so I think I think that's a realistic view of what it is. These other guys whittle it down to the last decision making process. They run it past him. And if there's not a big deal, he goes with whatever they whatever they suggest. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think a lot of businesses are run that way. I mean, it's no different than 
than Mark Cuban with the Mavericks. It, it's Mark Cuban basically has the Mavs as like a toy. That's he has all these other things and all these other businesses in addition to owning the Mavs and doing the things that he does with that. I, I don't think it's the one thing that's unique perhaps with Jerry is the fact that he is as involved and is the entitled perhaps only general manager and it feels like he's become more of that owner but he's still prominent because everybody knows it's jerry jones yeah i think so like i don't think anybody views him as real gm i think that's will mcclay uh in terms of of who's picking the players who's putting together the players you know when they traded for amari cooper it was will mcclay who watched every single snap he'd ever played in the nfl it wasn't jerry jones and then he went on, on uh, you know, Will McClay's recommendation. So I don't think anything's changed. Will McClay is the de facto GM. Um, you know, Stephen Jones is is has some of those duties in terms of being in terms of contracts. They split it up. And, you know, again, Jerry comes in at the end and helps make uh, final decisions. And I think that's cool because it's worked for them. But the bottom line is I don't think any of this billionaire stuff that that's about his family affects the team at all yeah I don't I don't know why it would honestly I, I don't think the players care about it I don't think they really pay attention to it. it with all the drama that is in and we've talked about this before on the podcast the variety of different professional athletic teams and the drama that some of those guys have going on in their lives guys don't care as long as the result on the field if you win nobody cares it's only going to be a thing if the Cowboys go out and have this god-awful horrific season then people are going to circle back around and be like well if the owner wasn't doing this or this and they'll use it almost like as a scapegoat as a blame game as a off the field distraction but if the Cowboys go out and have a solid season and make the playoffs it, nobody will even think twice about all of this stuff no exactly and so that's why I think you have to keep it in perspective as people are starting to make it a big deal and wondering just how much it affects them I, I think the answer is very little because Jerry Jones has lived a life full of drama for for at least the last 30 years in Dallas and maybe even before that mm. uh, we just didn't know about it because he was private citizen billionaire now he's owner of your Dallas Cowboys billionaire but to me his life has always been chaotic and this is really not a whole lot different yeah, so it's it's one of those things you're you're learning a lot more about it now, but I, I just, I don't know. I, and I've kind of said this before, I think most people that make that much money and have that much power have all sorts of skeletons in their closet. And I can, not that I know, I have no idea, but I would almost virtually guarantee you that these are just the tip of the iceberg for what rich people have hidden and all that type of thing. <laughs> I mean, to me, it really is, is what rich people do, bro. And uh, it doesn't make any sense to us because, one, we're not rich. Uh, so it's hard for us to relate. But this, this is really what rich people do. And the rich people I've been around, because I have been around and covering different sports and, and just over the years, dealt with a lot of rich people. Uh, this is just kind of how they live their life, man. It seems crazy to us, but it seems very normal to them. It is. So we'll see how it turns out. But we wanted to get back into the Cowboys and the draft. The upcoming draft at the end of April, of course, they've got pick 24 in the first round and we kind of went through this exercise the other day and we now have a lot better idea uh, I have seen 28 of the 30 players that are scheduled to come in for a visit and again this kind of gives you a roadmap as we have talked about for guys that they are looking at that they think are likely to be in their range in the first round and second round and, and there's guys on this that are going to be mid-round guys as well, but it really kind of paints a map of where they are looking 
because generally speaking, they like to draft the guys that they've had in for a pre-draft visit with one of these 30. Dude, they normally pull somebody off the list. Yeah. So the list that we're looking at, you know, somebody's probably getting drafted at 24 off that list. It shouldn't, it shouldn't shock us if, if it comes to that. Yeah, which is why when you look at it, pretty much, and this is, this is kind of actually interesting is we all know they need an offensive lineman. And, and we all believe, I think a lot of people are hoping they'll pick the best available offensive lineman in the first round. But I'm telling you, man, the wide receivers that are on this list that they are bringing in for a visit, those are first round wide receivers. There is not a non first round wide receiver on this list. No. And um, I mean, they, I don't think they're dumb. Okay. I mean, some of y'all might, but I don't think they're dumb. I think they know exactly what happened to Dak Prescott the last time they rolled out there without a, uh, a true number one. Um, and he was awful. And while they feel very good about CeeDee Lamb, again, as I told you, Matt, it, it, this is just football. CeeDee Lamb suffers a high ankle sprain in the first quarter of the first game. What's your wide receiver supposed to, group of receivers supposed to do after that? Yeah. I'm just asking, Matt. What, what, what do y'all think James Washington, Noah Brown, and whatever slap dick they get is supposed to do? Because Michael Gallup ain't back yet, remember? He's supposed to miss the first two or three games. So you have to have some contingency plan to beef up that core. Plus, you know, just like I said, man, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, and James Washington, I don't think forces teams to change the way that they play defense. No, not at all. Not at all. I just don't. And that's why I would not be surprised at all if we are about to see, because again, the three wide receivers that they have in their pre-draft on the list of 30, Traylon Brooks, who is a beast of a wide receiver out of Arkansas on an Arkansas offense where he was basically it, that dude was putting up some numbers, man. And, and he's impressive. You also have, of course, a couple of other wide receivers that we mentioned the other day, but you look at this Chris Olave, the the kid that you're very familiar with out of Ohio State, and then Drake London, the wide receiver out of USC. Those are the only three wide receivers that they have on their list of pre-draft visits, and all three of those guys will be first-round draft picks. Yeah, it's just a matter of whether they fall. Um, it's a deep wide receiver group, so you wonder if people will um, will will resist taking them just because they feel like they can get one. Like even the guys in the second round you know, are supposed to be really good players or really good guys. Yeah. Like, I forget the dude from Penn State who some people have going in the first round. So, um, it's a year to go get receivers. You know, it still makes you go like, uh, well, let me take it back. If they take a receiver in the first round, it actually, it'll make you feel, it should make you feel better about the loss of Amari, not just because they took a receiver, but then it means that receiver, CeeDee Lamb and Gallup, should all be together for the next you know, three to four years. And that should give you some continuity, especially if that dude's a baller. Yeah. Uh, and that should make you feel good about it. So uh, like, what do you think they go if they don't take a receiver? I, I, if they don't take a receiver, I, I, I think it's got to be offensive linemen. I'd be surprised if it wasn't because, again, you just kind of look at what's on their list and some of those offensive linemen that they have are going to be first-round guys like Charles Cross or the Kenyon Green kid. Uh, Zion Johnson from Boston College is on the list as well. And I think that those guys are, are likely to be in that back part of the first round, especially Kenyon Green. So to me, it would make sense that if they don't take that wide receiver, it's going to be an offensive lineman. And I'm cool with that. Um, they just, you know, I'm a big believer in, you just got to get guys who can play. Yeah. Um, you can, I mean, I just believe it. You can never go wrong 
taking a good player. Um, you can go around taking a bad player, and you can go around trying to force things, you know, round pegs in the square holes. You can go around doing that way. But you take a dude that can play, Micah Parsons, CeeDee Lamb, you can just never go wrong, even, even if it feels like you don't necessarily need that dude right off the bat. Yeah, and so you look at the Cowboys heading into the draft. They've got the 24th overall pick. In the, in the second round, it's the 56th overall pick, the 88th. So they'll get three of the top 100 players on their board. Fourth round is 129, and then they've got four fifth-round picks because of the compensatory picks that they, they picked up. So they actually have nine overall draft picks in this draft, which will be interesting to see. You know, in those fifth-round picks, will they use those to potentially try and make a move somewhere like maybe to get back into the fourth round or something like that but it gives them a little bit at least on Saturday of the draft when you're doing rounds four through seven if they want to move around a little bit those four fifth round picks should allow them to make a little bit of a move no I would expect them to use them because then you should be targeting guys that you really think can help you they're later in the draft so it's not like you know that their first round you know first round talent guys are going to be dominant players yeah. and so then if you see a guy in the middle of the fourth round that you want the blinking light, as the Cowboys describe. <laughs> Don't be wasting time, man. Just go get the dude. Yeah, pretty much. So let's jump into it real quick because we love doing this. I think it's a lot of fun when you have these draft conversations, just running through the draft machine and have an idea of kind of how this lays out and what it may look like. And we're not going to do this every episode, but it's fun to do. We did it for the first time on our last podcast. And now that we have a better idea of that full list of guys they have coming in, so the Cowboys were on the clock at 24 here. And right before their pick, you saw Devin Lloyd, the linebacker from Utah, who I believe is one of those guys on their list. He just got selected. So he is not a possibility. Drake London, who's on their list, went to Green Bay at 22. And the Penn State kid you're talking about, Jahan Dotson, went at 23 to the Arizona Cardinals. Also, Zion Johnson is gone. Uh, Charles Cross is gone. Those were names as well that the Cowboys had on their list. But here at 24, and see, I think this is actually a very realistic drill here because I, I wouldn't be surprised if three or all four of these names are available. We are deciding right now between Tyler Lindenbaum, the center out of Iowa, Kenyon Green, the guard from AM, Chris Olave, the wide receiver, or Traylon Burks, the wide receiver. Who, boy. Now, That's three of those a... names. I don't think Linderbaum was on the list of names but the other three guys, the two wide receivers, and then Kenyon Green, obviously, are on that list. So I do believe that if all those three guys are there, the pick 100% is one of those three. Who would you take? I think we did it, and I know that we've already done this in the last draft. I would take Alave or Burks. I'm a big believer in Burks, man, because that dude is your prototypical type size for a receiver. You know, he's not blazing fast, but you're talking about a 6'3", 225-pound receiver who who constantly got double teamed last year at Arkansas because he was basically their entire offense. That dude is a beast. All right. It is the Cowboys. Let's go with the Arkansas wide receiver. Nothing would make them happier. Yeah, why not? And then we change it up a little bit from what we did the last time. So Burks goes, and then Olave went immediately to the pick after ours. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we knew that was going to happen. So yeah. yeah. And, I, and I, I think, honestly, I really think if both those guys are available, I think they're, they're going to end up taking a wide receiver because they know that, and Jerry kind of alluded to it to some degree. So we get to the 56th pick here in the second round, and now you start getting into, you know, who's available that's kind of on that list that they had. And you look at this, trying to scroll down to match it up for both of them for me, but you've got offensive linemen, you've got a guard, Sean Ryan from UCLA, 
Uh, Sollier, the kid, the offensive lineman from Georgia, who I don't think is on their list. Trey McBride, the tight end from Colorado State. Is he on their list? I thought he would. No, it's it's uh, the kid from A&M is on their list. So I'm trying to see Raymond, the tackle from Central Michigan, is probably here. Uh, Dylan Parham. Let's see. Who else? Did I already scroll past him? This is tough to do. There's so many names. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah, because now I'm trying to figure out, like, you try to scroll through, and I'm trying to find an offensive lineman that I know was on their list. Well, I think, I mean, I think they're going to go get an offensive lineman in the second round if they go take a receiver in the first round. Yeah, because a guy that I thought might be here, I think, is already off the board, which is unfortunate for us. That uh, Bernard Raymond kid from Mississippi State, they've got him uh, on their list of guys. I don't know. Okay, so at this point... Trying to find a guy who is on their list that is also available is not working out. It's a very slow process, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, because I was hoping that Raymond or like Kenyon, Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green is already gone. Izudu, the kid from North Carolina, is gone. Charles Cross is gone. So now you're at a position right here where everybody who is on their list that's an offensive lineman is already been drafted. And we are at pick 56. So all their guys that they're targeting. See, and that may be a key, too, of what they're looking at then. Because of all those offensive linemen are already off the board in a mock draft. And that's all the guys that they brought in. You got to think that they would want one of them. Yeah. Or it means that you take the offensive lineman in the first round. Yeah. That, yeah. Figuring that you can get. is not the receiver that you want, but still a guy who can play in the second round. Because you got to get a guy. You got to get guys who can be come in and be ballers with the first two picks uh this can't be a red shirt year for a guy hey where did Jamison Williams go speaking of it uh let me see he went I would imagine in the first round but yeah he because Jamison Williams isn't gonna last this long I'm trying to find him maybe he did last this long let's see I'd be shocked is it fake no he's gone I didn't I'm trying to find where he went I don't know man I don't see him but he's not on the board so he went somewhere John Mechie is still there in the second round. See, I would not mind, and I know he's coming off an ACL as well, but John Mechie is a beast of a wide receiver who would be a really interesting guy in the second round for the Cowboys at wide receiver if you decided that in the first round you were going to go with the offensive lineman. Now, see, I think I read that somewhere. I've read a lot of mocks lately. Somebody's mock had him taking a lineman in the first round and Mechie in the second round. Okay. Yeah, see, I, I could totally see that happening. Because now we're at a point, like I said, if this is the way it, it, it falls out, then what are we going to do? I guess we'll just take the highest-rated lineman that they have here, which is the or, guard. Or uh, is there a defensive player that's better? Oh, if you want to go cornerback, because, Roger McCreary be, from Auburn is there. Because I'm not interested in taking a, a – Guy, just for the sake, I, I, my guy's got to be able to play, you know. So I don't want to take a guard. I don't want to take a guard who maybe he's I. Right. I'll just go get a free agent guy who can just, just, um, you know, hold the fort until yeah. the next year. Because you can find a free agent guard, decent money, one year deal. Who's the long guy? Who's the long haired guy they got from? Uh, he's from UCLA with a couple years ago. Had like long ponytail. Played with the Texans for a year. For a few years, and you know, but a guy like that, he had like three names. I can't remember any of them now, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but I, I, that's what I'm talking about. Like, you just get a guy to help you out for a year because I don't want to force anything. I want only guys who can play. Uh, I'm not opposed to a corner because you can never have enough corners. Even though we got Kelvin Joseph, 
Um, but, you know, Anthony Brown and Jordan Lewis are coming up on, uh, you know, potentially last year's of their deals. Yeah. And if I, if I can upgrade, then fine. Yeah, so if I take a corner in the second round, he's going to play somewhere. This is really interesting, just kind of going through all this right now. I mean, it really, now that we kind of do this exercise, the guys, just because from an offensive line standpoint, all the dudes that they've brought in for a visit are already gone, and we're at pick 56. But so are all the wide receivers, and so this is interesting because a lot of the guys that are still hanging around that are on their their pre-draft visit board would be guys that are either going to go early or probably aren't going to be here at this point in the second round. And then they have a lot of guys that are like uh, day three guys. Because I'm trying to type in these as quick as I can to see where they're going. Like, this may be, it's probably a little early, but Sam Williams is a guy they have on their list who is an edge rusher from Ole Miss. But again, he's more, he would be better value in the third round if he's there. Right, which means I ain't trying to take him in the second round. Right, so now (laughs) it just may be somebody who's not on our board, perhaps. Well, sometimes I mean, it works out. Who's not on our, like our, our pre our pre list? They're not on our visit list, but they're on our board somewhere. Yeah. So then, if that's going to be the case, do you want offensive lineman? Sean Ryan is the highest rated one from UCLA. You've got the cornerback from Auburn, Roger McCreary. Those would probably be the two that I would go for here in this in this range. Well, then I'd probably take Ryan from UCLA. Yeah. So let's just get him so we can move on. <laughs> I mean, that took forever for the second pick. But that's what the, this is going to be a really interesting draft. And now that we're doing this, it makes me feel like they're going to go offensive lineman first round and see if a guy like a Mechie is hanging around still in the third round for him. But we get to the third round. We've got the 88th pick here. And now this is where it gets interesting, where some of those names that were there are going to be available for them, like Jeremy Ruckert, the tight end from Ohio oh, yeah. State. Yeah, He's yeah, there, yeah. and he was one of their pre-draft visits. Uh, Fedarian Mathis, the defensive lineman from Alabama, See, yep, the edge rusher, Sam Williams, who's on their list, is here in the third round, that guy from Ole Miss, so that may be the play or the tight end. You know what, man? Jeremy Ruckert came out of high school as the top-rated tight end in the country, uh, really more of a receiver than a, uh, than a blocker. He became a much better blocker at Ohio State. He's a uh, receiving tight end. Uh, he's your, he makes sure that you don't have to pay Dalton Schultz next year. Um. We stocked up on edge rushers. The question is whether you think Sam Williams can develop into a eight-sack guy or not. If not, I would go with Ruckert so we can play some two tight end like we like to do and keep it moving. But if you think Williams is better than Dante Fowler or will get some, some run this year, because, again, we want guys who are going to play this year, even through the third round. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, good, I'm, I'm all about record. Yeah, let, let's go with him just to shake it up because I, I like that just from the idea of what you were talking about and the Cowboys really haven't invested in the tight end. You know, Dalton Schultz was, what, a fourth-round pick? And I think you got to go yeah. back to Gavin Escobar the last time they took a tight end in the first three rounds. Yeah. Yeah, I think Rucker, uh, not just because he's a Buckeye, i just seen him play. He's, yeah. uh, he's, he's got terrific hands. He can be the catcher that you want. It's a matter of whether he'll be a blocker. and. Really, could it be any worse of a blocker in space than Dalton Schultz, who's, a, who's turned nope. into a good player? <laughs> I don't think you could be worse than him in space, that's for sure. No. But anyway, that, that kind of gives you an idea. So, like, see, this is interesting because your first three picks, if it turns out like this, you get a wide receiver, an offensive lineman, and a tight end. And I think even if it's wide receiver in the second round, those pieces of the offense are all things that they need that should help to make the offense better, at least than it is right now on paper. That's for sure. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And uh, 
you're trusting Mike Quinn and the and the the help that he's gotten on defense for the defense to be uh, you know respectable. Yeah, old Mike Quinn. I'm sorry, Dan Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who's Mike Quinn? <laughs> but uh, you know, the interesting thing, and we'll talk about this at a later date. You know, I'd like to see those teams like. I don't know that you can expect thirty something turnovers next year. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, because I, I and I'm not being the the proverbial wet blanket, but I did this as an exercise earlier, and I say that because Trayvon, the odds on Trayvon getting double digits interceptions next year should be like a zillion to one, um, because if you look at all the people who've had double digit interceptions, there haven't been many. You know, the next year they go from double digits to like four or five. Yeah. Even Night Train Lane, who had 14 in the 50s, he never did it again. Right. <laughs> had double digits ever again. Um, you know, Everson Walls did it the first two years, never had it again. Um, Xavier and Howard, the other, you know, had 10 the other year. He's down to four or five. Some of it's that people aren't throwing in to you. The other is you had, what is it? Why do we call it a career year, Matt? Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Because a career year. It's like, it's the best you ever did. Um, and everything fell right, and you didn't drop any. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's the perfect storm. And while he's a really good player, I just don't, I don't know that you can expect the perfect storm again. Yeah, that would make sense. I think for me, it, it's you just hope for that consistency where if you're – honestly, if yeah. you are an NFL cornerback and you're getting four to seven interceptions a year, that's pretty yeah. damn good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you hope as a defensive unit you can come up in the 20s. Uh, because, you know, you're getting pressure, you guys are making fun, you know, as a unit. Yeah. You're making all these things happen, and you got a lot of playmakers on your defense, and all of that leads to turnovers. That's what you're hoping. So as we move forth and we get into our trip around the block, uh, let's tell you about some of our sponsors here that make the podcast possible. I'm telling you guys, get up, support them. When you support these businesses, it really helps to support us. And we're glad that Bruce Biltong is back with us. Jacques and I love it. If you guys have somehow not tried Bruce Biltong yet, you need to try it. It's like beef jerky, but it isn't. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat. It's called Biltong. I think it's more savory. I, I think it's just a phenomenal sack. I really sack. I was going to let that pass. Interesting. Well, maybe it is a phenomenal sack. It's a snack and a sack. <laughs> but the little two-ounce bags, they're 240 calories, 30 grams of protein. And the what I love about this is not only is it healthy and delicious and filling, but also when you go to bruisebiltong.com, if you use the promo code JAM15, you can try it and get 15% off your order at the same time. Dude, it's a, it's a terrific. And if you're trying to watch your weight, it's a perfect snack. Because as Matt told you, it's got 30 grams of protein in the small bag. It's got no carbs, no sugars, no additives. So it's all natural. And because it's protein, it fills you up and gets you to the next meal. Uh, that's what I really like about it. Mid-afternoon snack is perfect uh, for those of us trying to keep your weight at a certain level. And it gives you a little energy boost because it's got some protein in your system, bro. Uh, you need to put that, how do you say it, Matt? In your mouth? Yes. Brutong is badass. Eat it. <laughs> Bruisebiltong.com. B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G.com. Bruisebiltong. Also, of course, JR, his guy is over at Freeway Tire Shop. We've been telling you about him forever. It does not get any better than that. If you have made the trek over there, as many of you have, because some of you guys will go and reach out like, man, y'all weren't kidding around. Like, that dude is legit. Why do you think 
that Jacques takes all five or ten or however many of his cars, every single one of them goes to JR because he trusts them. <laughs> That's why. No, JR is great, man. It's the customer service for me. That's what I look for at any business because it means that they really care about you, not just the revenue that you're bringing into their business. But uh, I ride with JR because of the four T's, man. You can trust him to, number one, diagnose the problem. That's the biggest thing. Can you just figure out what's wrong with my car? And then don't underestimate the use of premium parts to fix your car, bro. It's not just cheap stuff that's going to wear out soon. He puts parts on it at last. And then I also appreciate the fact that I never feel like I'm getting jobbed, man. I feel like the price he's giving me is a fair price for the work that he's doing. And then I love JR because he stands behind his work. If anything's not working perfectly when you get your car back, just bring it back to him. Yo, dog, it's still it's making a little noise, just not as loud. Oh, okay, you know what it is? It's this. He fixes it. No questions, no back and forth. And boom, you're out. It's the way to do it, man. It's easy to get to just north of downtown Dallas, right off of 35, everything. Everything you need with your vehicle, he can get it taken care of for you at Freeway Tire Shop. Schedule your appointment, request a quote. You can go online at freewaytireshop.com. So let's take this trip around the block because, man, there's a lot to get into. One of these, I came across a couple of things, and I thought, this is interesting, so I wanted to start with this. But road rage incidents apparently have skyrocketed in recent years, so much so That police departments in Dallas, Irving, Mesquite, and Grand Prairie, as well as the Dallas County Sheriff's Office and the Texas Department of Safety, have created what is now known as the North Texas Road Rage Task Force. What the hell? So they're doing this. So apparently what they're doing is because the numbers have gone up so high that they are, all these departments working together, they're targeting aggressive drivers And they're looking for certain signs that you're driving aggressively, you know, perhaps you are drunk and whatnot. They are also using unmarked cars where they are just putting officers in what we would think is a regular car. And they're just driving around on the interstates looking for cars that are driving aggressively so that they can pull them over and stop things before they happen. I don't even know how I feel about that. That seems kind of uh, stop and frisk-esque. Yeah, it it, uh, it it does a little bit. But, I mean, at the same time, you know, that's the reality of it where they're using these unmarked cars and that car will radio to a marked car and be like, hey, you know, get over here. This car is doing this, this, and this. I've got them. And, you know, don't, don't drive aggressively, I guess. And how about this? So since 2015, and this is seven years of data, 15% of all murders in the city of Dallas have been attributed to road rage. 15%. Man. Wow. And they say that in the last decade, road rage fatalities have increased by nearly 500%. And this is nationally, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. So it, it, it's, it's one of those things where this is happening, as the Dallas police say, because obviously more people are moving to Dallas in the DFW area than anywhere else in the country. It is the, believe it or not, it has had the most growth and I believe it is still the fastest growing like large metro area in the country. Yeah, There's about to be 8 million people in North Texas. So there's more congestion. People are driving faster. And of course that creates more of more incidents of road rage because you're stuck in, you're stuck in traffic. You're already stressed. You're having a bad time. Somebody pisses you off. We all know how, I mean, all of us at some point have suffered from road rage. Dude, I, I think the thing about it is like, yeah, most of road rage is because people do dumb things on the, on the highway and you get mad and you want to do it. Or we just live in an angry society, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
for those of you on Twitter or social media, just go look at it, how angry people are. Um, I experienced a little bit of it this week, and I was just like, this is what I said, Matt. I said, uh, damn, St. Mary's fairy tale is already over six minutes into the game. I really didn't think that was a outrageous statement. No? I mean, I really didn't. I've said far worse about teams. Somebody, what's Ohio State doing? They suck this year. Like, what does that got to do with this St. Mary's thing? And why are you why are you bringing this to me, bro? Yeah, why do you even care, guy? And it, and it went back and forth. And finally, I just I just blocked the dude because I felt myself about to say something um, that I just I didn't want I didn't feel like going there, so I just blocked him. But uh, we just live in an angry society, man. And and now that more people than ever carry guns. Uh, you know, guns give people courage, man. Yeah. I mean, you carry, you packing, you might say something you wouldn't have ordinarily said because you feel like step to me if you want to. I'm, I'm good. I'm ready. And so, you know, I and that very fact has made me calm down a little bit. Um, you know, because none of it's worth it. No matter oh, what happens, all, yeah. none of it's worth it. Totally. You're exactly right. And I, I think about that all the time is, you know, I, I don't unless I'm at a light, the only time I honk at somebody will be if I can tell they're on their phone. And it's not even like a mean honk. It's one of those like beep, like, hey, let's go. Come on, get off your phone. You right. know, and I, and I try to as much as possible not be angry when you're driving around and just let it be because the reality of it is like somebody's riding your ass. OK, well, get out of the way then and they'll go past you. And right. then you don't have to mess with it anymore. Or, you know, I, I'll, I'll slow down to a point where they have to go around me if I can't get around. <laughs> but I'm not going to try and, and, like, race them or do anything like that with them. So, you know, there are times where everybody gets frustrated. We run into it on the roads all the time. But as the Dallas police tell you, always allow an aggressive driver to pass. Second, do not follow an aggressive driver. And third, do not fight verbally or physically with an aggressive driver. Just contact your local authorities. And that's what happens. I mean, we all, we've all been there at some point. Some dude's riding your ass and it pisses you off. So you like brake check them or whatever. Then they get pissed and then you speed up to make sure they can't get around you. Well, in today's society, and this is happening in Dallas, they'll just pull up next to you and unload a clip into your car. Yeah. And that, that doesn't seem to serve anybody's purpose as you lie wounded on your way to the hospital. Yeah. Um, now, that's the biggest change I've had to make. Uh, because I have had a, I'm a yeller and a screamer at you. Sometimes I pull up just so I can look at you and shake my head in, in indifference yeah, or that's, shake that's my head do, in yeah. dis- shake my head in disappointment that you're such a poor driver. That's that's the disappointment look I give you. You know, but it, I've even stopped doing that, man. Because again, you just never people are so dumb and so crazy and so impulsive. You just never know what they're up to, um, and so it's just better to uh, you know put your pride aside. And, uh, you know, let it go for another day. It totally is. It's way better. That, it's better being alive. You know, stew angrily as you let that person pass you. <laughs> it's, it's much better to do it that way. And I've tried to get better at that. I've gotten a lot better over the years. I mean, I think we all still have times you're like, God, what is it with this person? And I just try to relax. I'm like, you know what? Whatever. It doesn't even matter. Like, I don't even look over at people anymore. Like, they'll, they'll pull up next to you and try to get a reaction from you. And I don't even look at them. I just shake my head. You know, and I may be cussing at them, but I'm not even looking at them, and they have no idea. Maybe I'm on the phone. They don't know what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, I'm a looker. 
Yeah, because I'm just I'm like, you back. know, I'm not going to try to start it. It's just not worth it because, like you say, so many people have guns now. Is it? I, I, I have no desire to get shot while I'm driving down the road. Matter of fact, in Texas, you should pretty much assume people have a gun. Yeah, it's probably a good way to rule. I, I, like, I don't know that you should do that in every state, but yeah. in Texas, you should really just assume the person you're talking to has a gun. So the other thing I have for you, and I've never heard of this place until I came across this article, but apparently... And I know you're a big wings connoisseur. Yum, yum. But apparently a New York City-based wing chain called Atomic Wings is expanding for its first location in Texas. It's the first location of this company outside the East Coast. And it'll be located over there off Park Road Drive in Arlington, one of three DFW locations that they're going to be opening. It opens this week in Arlington on April 6th. Really? The first 100 customers. Receive free waffle fries and a raffle ticket for a PlayStation 5 and also a chance to win free wings for a year. Oh, my. Sign me up. Free wings for a year. Man, who doesn't like wings, though? So apparently they're known for they have a variety of sauces, but they do jerk barbecue, garlic, garlic parmesan, Thai chili, mango habanero and what they call nuclear. OK, I ain't interested in nuclear. I would try it. But see, and that's the thing. Like, you go to Hooters, and you say, give me the hottest atomic sauce you have, and it's, like, mild. Is it? And then you go to some places, and you say that, and your lips are blistering, and you've got to, like, get a face transplant. Okay, they've got three, six, nine, ten flavors. Yeah. Okay, I like that. Oh, okay, I was like, where's the lemon pepper? Everybody's got a base lemon no, pepper. No, you got to have a lemon pepper. Come on. I mean, that's, that's like having salt, pepper, lemon pepper. I mean, that's, that's the three you got to have. Uh, all right, I, I may check it out this week and give you a report. I'm not trying the nuclear, got no interest in that, uh, let alone atomic. But, uh, you know, Thai chili, sweet and tangy. Mango habanero, I'm sure, is very good. Mango habanero. I may, uh, oh, you know what? I may, I may try that this week. Yeah, something to do. I'm always intrigued by new wings places because it's got to well, be so hard to crack into that market just because every, like, when I, when I say <sighs> wings... I think the first things that people think of are Buffalo Wild Wings and Wingstop. Right. Now, let me tell you what I've done. Me and my son, because he's, he's nearing the end of, uh, I don't know, he's, 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 what, two months away from graduating or six weeks away from graduating? Yeah. And so because he has a real life now, and I don't see him as often, uh, I try to schedule a, a day to go to lunch, certainly no more than every two weeks. Uh, I try to get it every week, but certainly within every two weeks, let's sit down, look at each other face to face and talk about the world for an hour or so. I found out yesterday he no longer has a girlfriend. How about that? Ah, okay. Oh, I mean, that, that, may, that may call for a future story. Uh, but uh, we were at a place downtown called Bobber's. It's a hamburger spot. Right. And he said, oh, that's pretty good, Dad. Where, where'd you find out about this? And I said, bro, check this out. I literally said it like that. Bro, check this out. Dallas has so many freaking restaurants mm-hmm. that I have pretty much, pretty much, aside from Wingstop, made it a point not to go to any chains. There's literally so many restaurants in Dallas that you just should try them. And I said, I literally put down Best Burger in downtown Dallas, 10 spots popped up. <laughs> sure. I, picked up I picked up one we hadn't been to before. And I said, let's, uh, me and you go check it out. We did that at a taco place a couple weeks ago. 
because uh, I send him a text. I go, hey, what do you want? Burgers, tacos, something else. He said burger. Last time he said tacos. So we found a burger spot and it was good. Um, and it was just, let's just try something new. I mean, the way they're doing downtown with all these, uh, like this place we went to was right in the AT&T Plaza, which is, I call it a, uh, it's like a man-made lake. Yeah. Basically, they, they had some open space or they created some open space. They made it so that it's a place for people to join, to hang out. And then they built restaurants around it. And to me, that's a great idea because, uh, as I was telling my dude, they built it so people would hang out. Then they built a restaurant so people would spend money while they hang out. And, and it all makes sense. They got Connect Four giant boards, three of them out there. And they got like... Uh, artificial turf so you can actually sit on the grass outside if you got kids without worrying about ants and all that kind of stuff so it, it was all a good time man um and when we go out again next week or the next two weeks i'll send the same text and i'll find another new spot that we haven't been to because uh dallas downtown is really great these days yeah that's that's very cool and you know i like doing that here in the birmingham area i mean we love going to new local places and trying new different things because Birmingham, I thought this was really interesting. You're familiar with, what's his name, Andrew Zimmerman or whatever that dude is? You know, no, he, he does the bizarre foods thing or whatever. You know, talking about yeah. that, that television host, he, he oh. does bizarre foods and a few other different yeah, things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so apparently he came to Birmingham not that long ago, and just out of the blue last week, he decided to put out a list and, and talked about how Birmingham's one of his favorite underrated food cities and is a great place to go for a weekend for foodies. And Really? Yeah, listed all these places that he liked to go, and a couple of them I'd never even heard of. I was like, what the hell? You know, but it, it was kind of stuff like that. Now, a lot of them I had heard of and are, are familiar with, but... You know, it's just things like that where you see that and then you make a list and you say, okay, well, when we get a chance, let's put this on the list and see if we get an opportunity to swing by there and, and check it out at some point. Dude, I mean, I'm all for that. That's, uh, to me, when you got a place with a bunch of great restaurants, um, no uh, no shade to, uh, to the chains because once upon a time they were local, but yeah. they were small. But I just like... Maybe you got me into this when we started talking all about local this and local that. Maybe it was. But, uh, I just like I just like local stuff, bro. I also like it that when people come into town, you don't have to say, "Hey, let's go to Chili's." You know what I mean? Let's go to a local burger spot. Yeah. Barbecue. Uh, nothing against Spring Creek or Dickies or Coulters, but you know, here I got a spot for you: Baby Back Shack or Terry Blacks or sure, you know, Cattle Cattleman's. You know, whatever. I got a spot for you. Or people call you from out of town. You can give them something other yeah. than that. Yeah, there's, and I think any city has some really good food spots, but that's something that I've really gotten into more so is just trying to, to go to the local places. Because usually local, you know, maybe like a local chain, and then eventually maybe they branch out a little bit. But usually a lot of local places, that like that's it. There, there's that one spot, and that's the spot. You know, Dallas yep. is obviously different because it's so massive that, you know, there are things that are local to Dallas and there may be multiple locations of it, even though it's it's not really like a chain. It is a local place. They just happen to have some success and opened up like 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 Heim Barbecue is a great example of that. Charge yeah, charge right. it up, baby. Come on. <laughs> but something like that where Heim originally started in Fort Worth and now they've got what, three, four locations, you know, but it, it's a Dallas original. It's a it's a North Texas original. No, and it's fantastic. With their uh, bacon burn-ins, that's yeah. their uh, signature signature deal. Uh, yeah, I was glad when they got to, when they came to Love Field. 
because it meant they had one downtown. Yeah. Or close to downtown. Yeah, easy which to get to, meant, yeah. I was going to say, which meant I didn't have to drive all the way to Fort Worth to, uh, to enjoy it. Yeah, so there's a variety of different places that are like that. But that's one of the things. Like, barbecue is a great example of that. Like, Smokey John's. Smokey John's is about as local as it gets. They've been in Dallas forever and ever. They're phenomenal, you know, and that's like the epitome of a great local family-owned place that's had a lot of success. And a lot of barbecue places are like that. You see barbecue, tacos, burgers that really seem to truly be in the best of, by far the best of that is always those local places. Yep, and uh, I love it. Uh, Dallas is a great spot for that. And so uh, me and my dude just kind of decided that's uh, what we're going to do. Nice. That's cool. I like that. uh, You want to hear why he doesn't have a girlfriend? Might as well. This was interesting to me. That's, That's why I'm telling you. I said, uh, so I said, because he's really, I've told y'all that he's really into being an entrepreneur these days. I I mean, I don't know what happened, but he's like gung-ho. He's reading books. He's doing all this stuff. And I was telling him, I was like, you know, dude, you ain't got to fill up every hour of every day. I said, you know, if you got time to hang out with your boys, you want to hang out with your girl. I don't have a girlfriend right now. Oh. Oh. I said, uh, this is why it's funny, man. I said, so so what happened he said nothing i just wanted to be single okay i said uh i said okay but you know i'm a reporter everything happens for a reason i mean the reason doesn't have to be huge uh but why did you decide you wanted to be single he said i really just want to focus on me i got a lot of stuff i want to do and uh i don't want to feel obligated to text somebody or call somebody or hang out a certain amount of time i just want to do me and do whatever i feel like doing or work on my businesses and that's my top priority right now and i said wow i said all right i said i'm not mad at you uh i said well how'd you do it i just told her i want to be single i said dude you didn't say it like that they go yeah i did that you got to be straight up these days you can't be playing games you just got to tell them (laughs) i said did you really like that he goes yeah it's the best way to do it. I said, well, how'd she take it? She started crying and stuff. She said, ah, she wasn't, she didn't, she was disappointed, but uh, we good. We still talk a little bit, but we're good. And I said, that sounds like right from the Matt McLaren breakup school right there. <laughs> no soft shoe, no excuses, just, I mean, hey, I'd like to be single right now. Um, you're a great person, but I, I, I don't want to date anyone any right now. So. Smart. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense to me, man. I mean, especially... <laughs> As you get towards the end of high school and, and you realize we're probably going different places and I'm going to go off and do my own thing. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to go that phase of your life and, and just kind of take it as it comes. Yeah, man. So I was I was uh, I was impressed. He took the he took all those different approaches about the same thing. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's nice. it a very it's a very good lunch yesterday, man. You know, sometimes as you, and you'll experience this with Maddox as he gets older, you know, because, again, as they get older, the stuff y'all did doing Legos as a kid, yeah. he may have made, you know, he may, you know, when he's 13 or 14, maybe like, dad, what are you talking about, bro? Yep. He, he like, and so then you got to find, how am I going to connect now? And so frankly, it was really, I felt really good that we could sit down, go to lunch for about an hour and a half. And really the conversation was flowing the whole time. There wasn't very much. I mean, we were pretty much talking the whole time about this, that, and the other thing. And it was all cool. And uh, we really just stopped because he had something to do. <laughs> Yeah, that's all right. That's pretty cool, though, man. Yeah, but that that uh, that fatherhood thing, bro, it gets uh, as your kids get ready to bounce. That thing gets tricky. Yeah, I imagine it does. 
So the other thing I wanted to bring up, because I was just curious, and I have not been into this in many, many years, but I understand the event that it is. But WrestleMania, WrestleMania 38, it's in Dallas this weekend. It's at AT AT&T Stadium. They had a big thing of it on Saturday night. It's another huge one again, from what I understand, on, on Sunday night. And apparently, I mean, this is one of those huge deals where they think that there's a chance, and we'll find out, of course, in the days to come, that it may set an all-time attendance record at AT&T Stadium. Dude, well, how many people have to show up to set an all-time attendance record at AT&T? Well, isn't it, like, what was it, 100 and whatever, 10,000 or whatever? Jeez, that many people? Like at the Super Bowl, right, when they first sat, yeah. when they had that there. Good grief. Yeah, 108,713 is the highest attended basketball game ever, and I, I guess that was the record. All right, well, let me ask you this, because I'm not sure I get it. And today, what is the appeal of wrestling? Well, from what I understand, and I know a couple of people who are very, very much into it and follow it very closely, it is, it, it'd be the equivalent of how women watch the Real Housewives of Atlanta or Dallas or whatever it is. This is essentially the equivalent of that for guys. It is a drama-filled story, essentially a TV show. It's obviously scripted. It plays out with a variety of different story angles through wrestling. Hello? Yes. Sorry, my ear fell out. Are you alive? Yes, I've glued my ear back on with super glue. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, but that's, I mean, that's basically what it is. It's, it's just a, it's a drama a TV show with all kinds of drama and storylines that gets played out while they wrestle. Okay. I guess. Like, when it was explained to me that way, it made a lot of sense. It's not my thing. Like, I, I can't get into it. But in some realm, it's really no different than watching any type of a TV show that's scripted. Oh. You know, you're invested in the characters, you learn their storylines, and you're curious to see how it plays out. That's what wrestling is. You know what? That may be the best way I've ever heard it explained, just like that. Yeah. And so okay, once, I once I had an understanding of that, I was like, okay, you know, maybe it's not my thing, but I don't see anything wrong with that because there's a lot of people who watch a lot of different things that people might consider cheesy or corny or, or, or silly. But the reality of it is you're as, as into it and as invested into the characters and the storylines. And to be honest with you, a lot of those times in wrestling, man, I mean, these are storylines that have all kinds of twists and turns and, and sometimes involve years of different stories. All right. It, it makes sense then if you say it like that. And I'll get off my haughty high horse. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> you know, because so, I, I think that's cool because, uh, yeah. you know, they do have a high level of athleticism. Oh, very high level of athleticism. I mean, th- these are real moves that they're doing. Like when they really jump off something and smash through tables, those are real things that they're doing. I mean, they really get hurt and break bones and tear ligaments and cut themselves. And I mean, there's a lot of high physical demand. Oh, dude. I mean, they're spectacular athletes. And so when you throw the storylines and everything else in on it, I, I kind of get it. So apparently the attendance from Saturday was just 77,899. Just? Right. But for <laughs> WrestleMania. Well, I say that because when it was here in 2016, WrestleMania 32 was the best attended event in WWE history. 101,763 fans went to that one. Now, and again, maybe the Sunday version, I don't know anything about it. I don't know if there's like a bigger match tonight or a title or whatever that may boost that up where the number might be even more. But I mean, you're still talking about a ridiculous amount of people heading in for this two-day event, and, and that's what it was for WrestleMania Saturday. 
Wow. It's fantastic, bro. So, yeah, that, that is the all-time record at AT&T Stadium was the NBA All-Star Game in 2010. A regular season game, the Cowboys, that had to be their first game with 105,121 in 2009. Yeah, it was. And then the Super Bowl had 103,219 back in 2011. Those are the only three that have brought more to AT&T Stadium than the WWE and WrestleMania. <laughs> Who knew? Who would have picked that? Oh, it's super Not, popular, man. I mean, it is super popular. People are hardcore into it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, as we like to say, I'm the one who's on the outside looking in. Yeah. And, and I, I, I don't know. At this point, I'm just, I, I don't know. It's not for me. I've tried to check it out. I, I, it's just not my thing. The other two things I wanted to throw out because watched a couple of movies over the weekend and they're both just so different. Dune, the remake of Dune that was nominated for an Academy Award, it won like six Oscars last week, but it was all for like special effects and cinematography, like that type of stuff, like sound right. editing and film, all that. And I don't know if you, did you ever see Dune, the original Dune when it came out? Like whenever that was, I think it was from the 80s at some point that it was uh, a David no. Lynch film. I remember it coming out, but I remember I didn't, I didn't have much interest well, in looking at it. Dune is hardcore sci-fi and it's it's... I remember the David Lynch version just being kind of slow, and, and this is no different. It's visually stunning. It's very, very well done, but it is a slow, somewhat hard-to-understand story, and the reality of it is, like, I kept getting frustrated because, and I don't even know why, half the characters in this thing, like, whisper to each other, and I'm like, <laughs> and not only are they whispering to each other, they're explaining some stuff that is using terminology we're not familiar with because they're 8,000 years in the future on a new planet with new different things, and you're trying to understand the story, and you can barely freaking hear them. So what's the point? I know, man. Like, I had to get on Wikipedia and look up stuff just to make sure I was getting the storyline correct. I was like, what did she just say? Like, what? Okay, do I, I, I have no idea what she just said. I mean, they are asking for a hell of an investment for people to do that. I was like, man, yeah. But I, I don't know. It, it grew on me as the movie went along, but it's two and a half hours, and this is only the first half. Part two of Dune comes out in the end of 2023. Oh, my God. It's an investment. I was going to say, you ain't done nothing to make me want to see part one, let alone part two. No, I, will. I don't want to. I don't want to work that hard to be entertained. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you're missing much if you never see it. We watched The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is the story of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, the televangelists who really hit their popularity in the late 70s and on through the 80s, and the fallout of all that and the fraud and everything. Jessica Chastain won Best Actress for her portrayal of Tammy Faye Baker. It is riveting. Her portrayal, her character is... is I mean, it's like within 20 minutes of the movie, you're like, oh, my God, this, obviously she, she won the Oscar. Like, this is unbelievable acting. Wow. I mean, That's she it. is Tammy Faye Baker. The voice, the characteristics, the emotion, it's just... And, and it also won an Oscar for Best Hair and Makeup, and holy crap, you can tell, because there are scenes where you have no idea it's Jessica Chastain. I mean, it is phenomenal. Now, the movie is a little different. It, you know, it's good. It's not the most incredible movie ever but god holy crap her performance is amazing <laughs> well see now you sold it that i want to see that one i mean just based on her performance it's just and i don't know if you knew the story really well like i kind of knew it like i remember them from when i was a kid and stuff but it wasn't like one of those things i really paid a lot of attention to i, I mean i think anybody who was alive in the 80s is familiar with jim and tammy faye baker and understands that they were like the almost like the front line of televangelism fraud 
Right. But the story and the behind the scenes and how it all plays out, it really paints an interesting picture. And, and it really, at least in my mind, kind of put Tammy Faye in a really positive light. Did it? Believe it or not. Yeah. She really comes across, and, and again, this is you just taking the movie at its worth, and it was based kind of on a documentary that was done about Tammy Faye. But the whole thing for her, her entire life, is she just wants to love people. And so right. she clashed with some of the other televangelists because she reached out. Like, again, keep remember, people forget. When AIDS first came around in the 80s, it was like, you get it, you die. Oh, that's a gay disease. And there was a lot of, man, I guess, bigotry and prejudice against people in the gay community because of that. And Tammy Faye, and I didn't realize this, Tammy Faye like reached out to those people and had them on their televangelism show and talked to them and said, I just want to hug you. I just want to love you. I'm so sorry. Even though she might've disagreed with their lifestyle, she just wanted to love people. And that's really portrayed throughout all this. And it almost makes it seem like she was naive and very easy manipulated. And Jim Baker kind of took advantage of that to build this empire that he built. And Tammy Faye would spend the money and stuff, but she like never really paid attention to how they got it or anything. Uh, I can believe that. I mean, I, I could. I, I mean, I think a lot of people, like, I, I just think a lot of people, whether you're the man or the woman, if you're not really involved in the business, you might really not know how the money's being made. You just know that, it's, that it arrives and right. it's all good. Yes. So it's, it's an interesting story. And I thought it was just from her performance is just on a different level. I mean, it's one of the best acted roles I think that anybody could ever watch it's just genius and so many different scenes she sings in it because Tammy Faye sang Jessica Chastain sings all the parts and I mean she just got it down it's really really impressive and I think it was an enjoyable movie it's an interesting story no I'm uh now see I, I kind of want to see that one so I may uh I may make some time to find out because it's playing on Hulu right now yeah check it out it's worth it totally worth it and then finally, before we wrap up this trip around the block, I want to give a couple of birthday shout outs. One of my best friends, Juan, his birthday is actually today, April 3rd. So happy birthday to Juan, such a good dude. And then my dad, the patriarch of the McLaren family, his birthday is, when many of you are listening to this, April 4th is my dad's birthday. How about that? So happy birthday, dad. Hip hip hooray to dad. And it's also one of those things, and I think it's because it is my dad's birthday that I always remember this every year. And people will be like, oh, that's so random that you know this. But I don't know. It's just one of those things. This is also the date in 1968, April 4th, 1968, that Martin Luther King was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis. Yes, it was. And I remember that date, I guess, because my dad was born on that date. And I remember those two things, for whatever reason, being intertwined for my whole life. Oh, well, you know, there are worse things that could be intertwined. Yeah, very true. Just one of those things that I remember dates at, at, at points for some reason. Before we move forth, because we've got to get into a couple of more conversations, sports stuff that we have for you guys. Let's tell you about HFX Foundation Solutions. Again, we are going into that time of the year where hopefully, at least I know in Texas, there's a drought, but there's gonna, you're going to need rain and it's going to rain at some point. You don't pay attention, a lot of people don't, to their drainage and how that water is being drained from your property. A lot of the time, that can lead to foundation problems in the future. So if you are noticing some of those signs, like especially soil washout or sticking doors cracks, give them a call. And keep in mind, it's not just your foundation, it's your drainage as well. And they handle all that 
with HFX Foundation Solutions. Aaron and his guys, they'll come out and do a, a great job to get you set up and, and really just kind of give you that peace of mind. Dude, I think anything you can do, especially in this Texas with the Texas soil, which is all kind of shady, and I mean that in a negative way. Anything you can do to protect your foundation, you, sh- you should do it. And if it means getting the drainage inspected, that's great. If it means just getting the foundation inspected, that's great. Because nobody wants, brother, foundation problems. And in Texas, with the soil around here, it's very common. Have them come out, Aaron and his HFX crew, and just provide you with the peace of mind that comes from giving your house a once-over. It's a free, no-obligation inspection. It's one of those things it's important to do if you start noticing those signs, for real. 817-770-0174. A-rated with the Better Business Bureau online at hfxfoundation.com. Also, of course, if you haven't swung by Smokey John's Barbecue yet and picked up the Jam Session Bowl, you should do it. They've got a menu item. It's just for us. It's for all of you guys listening, and the only people who can ever order it are Jam Session listeners because it's a secret menu. Nobody else knows it exists unless you hear about it from us. Go ahead. Make yourself feel like a big deal. I'd like the jam session special please yes and the other people in line like what 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 is that like oh you don't know (laughs) and everybody else behind the counter will just start looking at them and going (laughs) you know that'd be awesome and no that's how you should or you or you 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 go and you say those who know don't say and those who say don't know yeah it's the jam session bowl order there you go wow yeah just take our word for it it's fantastic (laughs) do people Two people can't finish it. You'll have leftovers. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe three or four could finish it, but two definitely can't finish it, so there'll be plenty of leftovers, and uh, you can enjoy it twice as much. Yeah, it's family. It's local. It's a brother team that owns it and runs it and does it, and they're so great, man. They're such good people. Get out there and support them at Smokey John's Barbecue right there off of Mockingbird. And if you are not in the area, always remember you can order their barbecue sauce, the rub. You can do it online at SmokyJohns.com. Just click on Smokey's Market. Did you get a chance, by the way, to check them out? Because they were on that new, what was that, that A&E show that they were on with uh, the, what is it, Deep Fried Texas, I think it's called? Yes. No, I talked to Juan about it the other day. Or was it Brent? Because I've talked to both of them in the last week. Uh, but uh, no, I did set my DVR for it on my TV, on my yeah. YouTube TV. So I'll go back and check it out. But I have not peeked at it soon. It was a new day for them. Um, and they've done really well on Saturday. So they were trying to make sure that they continue it. Uh, we're hoping that they get a season two. Uh, but the first season was well received. And uh, those guys got a natural chemistry. So yeah. it's great. Yeah. It's called Deep Fried Dynasty is the name of it. And it comes on Tuesdays on A&E and the one that they just did last week featured Smokey John's Barbecue because for those that don't know they do a lot their barbecue is phenomenal obviously but they also do a lot with the state fair and they have invented some of those concoctions that have won some of the awards at the state fair in years past and they're really good I mean these dudes they're awesome I mean the stuff they make is phenomenal oh dude the food is just I mean it's scrumptious yeah it is I mean that's why I I mean I was going to Smokey John's long before they advertised on the podcast that's true Smokey John's. So get over there. Check them out. You ready for baseball? Uh, not really, but I mean, I'll take it. I'm, I don't know why I always get excited for opening day. It's, I'm excited. I think it's fun. I don't know what it is, but the Rangers open the season this Friday, and I doubt I'll be able to watch them unless I go somewhere that has a baseball package because I think it's just a whatever, a Bally Sports local regional thing. They open the season Friday in Toronto. So they have three games in Toronto over the weekend, and then their home opener is a week from Monday, April 11th, against the Colorado Rockies. 
I will say there is reasons for optimism, I think, this year. I think that this is, they are hoping to have some of the pieces of a foundation that hopefully in a couple of years is competing at the level that we saw in 2010 and 2011 and, and trying to win World Series. I think that they are, uh, I think they'll be competitive this year, something they haven't been lately. Um, I think they'll put a, an exciting product out there on the field as much as they can. And uh, I mean, I think that if you're a baseball fan, something to look forward to has been five years since they've had a winning record. I believe yeah. they've been amongst the worst teams in Major League Baseball uh, the last uh, couple of years. And before then, man, how do we want to say about the Rangers? They were never the worst team. You know, maybe they weren't great. Maybe they were around 500, but they were always exciting. Yeah. Even if you go back to Pete Incavilia and Buddy Bell in the 80s and all of that stuff, um, they were never the worst team. Um, and then we had that stretch where they were the, one of the best teams in baseball for about seven or eight years, and that was fantastic. Uh, now we've been through this drought. So, you know, let's hope that uh, Seager and Seaman up the middle can help, uh, you know, turn things around. Uh, you know, like any, any baseball team, you worry about their pitching because they got nothing but guys in their rotation, um, which is good and bad. Most of those guys are like 500, so, you know, you expect them to give you that type of performance. Anyways, like I was saying, John Gray that they brought over, and I don't know how much he excites anybody, but he's going to be your opening day starter. You know, they've always – Taylor Hearn's going to start the home opener next Monday. And, and I think Simeon and Corey Seager are signed for pieces for the future for that middle infield. They're hoping that maybe you get a breakout season from Nate Lowe and, and even Willie Calhoun, who let's keep in mind is still hanging around, and, and even Adelise Garcia – that if those guys can continue showing their progression forward, that all of a sudden with Seager and Simeon in the middle of your lineup, that you might have at least lineup-wise something decent while they're waiting on the arrival of some of these dudes who are going to be at double-A this year. You know, Josh Young, who's the future at third base, got hurt, and that sucks, man. But maybe he'll be back towards the end of the year and we'll get some exposure. But there's they're headed in the right direction, which we have not been able to say for a while. No, I think the other question is whether you believe in Chris Young. You know, he was supposedly, I mean, he has been labeled one of the best young baseball minds out there. Um, clearly, when you get a new guy like that, you got to give him an opportunity to build the team in, his, in the image that he sees fit. Um, and so I'm anxious to see what he can do. Um, they supposedly have a lot of talent at, uh, at Frisco and Double AA. Uh, let's see if they, can, if they can get that producing at the big league level. And then, man, I think we're all hoping that Leiter, who's starting in Frisco, yes, is the guy. Yes, he is that twelve-letter cuss word. And if he is, it can change the trajectory of where this thing goes. It, it, it's him and a couple of other guys that could slot out right. And I don't know. I I, I would imagine if Leiter does what they expect him to do in Double A. He'll probably be one of those late-season call-ups where he'll get a couple of opportunities at the end of 2022. I don't think this is a 500 team, but I think it's a team that might be able to do... You know, if you go back and you look at the odds leading into that 2009-10-11 team where they had that run where they were really good for four or five years, it was a team that went 75-87 and 87, and then 79 and 83, and then made the jump up to 87 and 75, and then the next year went to the World Series winning 90 games. And it feels like they're probably in a range of what we saw a couple of years ago when they were like 78 and 84. I would not be surprised if 75 to 80 wins is a real possibility for this team, which, keep in mind, is a 15-win jump from where they were last year when they only won 60 games. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think you keep it all in perspective. Uh, 500 be a huge year based off of oh, where no they're coming doubt. from. I think what you just want is good baseball, you know? Let's see if Chris Woodward is the guy, whether his philosophies, once he's got some good players, really take hold. And, uh, if you, you know, again, if Sim, Simeon and Seager can do what they do. Uh, and, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I don't think there's any question that Seager can do it, but Simeon's already 31. You know, when they're good, Will he still be a guy, or will he be? Will his fade have started? Yeah, and that that's that's where this thing gets interesting to me because I'm I'm just kind of hoping that there's some positivity here this year, and Leiter is that guy, and, and maybe you know Jack Leiter has a chance, and we'll see. But I mean, anybody who's been a Rangers fan their whole life knows this is not a franchise that home grows pitching talent ever. They had Kevin Brown and Kenny Rogers were probably the two best ever, homegrown. True that. True that. And Kevin Brown really did well. That's not he. He won twenty games once with the Rangers, but really became like that more elite level pitcher kind of after he left and went to the Marlins and was dominant that year, and then ended up pitching for the Dodgers for a while. But it'll be interesting, man, because baseball is so different than it used to be. You know, I was looking at this because I was just curious. The Rangers have only had three pitchers all time in their franchise history that have won twenty or more in a season. Because Fergie Jenkins has a franchise record at 25. Kevin Brown has 21. But Rick Helling was the last Rangers pitcher to win 20 games in a season, and that came back in 1998. And nobody even believes that because I think Rick's ERA was like, let me guess and then you look it up. Okay. Seemed like his ERA was like 4.52 that year. Let's see. Rick Helling, 1998. Wow. Not far off, dude. That's pretty damn good. It was four. Well, hold on. Let me see. Where am I at? 1998. It was 4.41. <laughs> I am that dude, bro. I mean, you were almost <laughs> right on that. <laughs> I am that dude, bro. Uh, so, yeah, uh, nobody thought Rick Helling was a, quote, 20-game winner. He just happened to win 20 games that year. Yeah, he good did. F- good for him. He's a good dude. But nobody thought, like, he's the beginning of an ace. Things just fell right for him. They were averaging, like, yeah. I'm just making this up like eight runs a start when he was pitching. Yeah, he, he and to be fair, you know, Helling had one of those runs where he had like, I think it was four or five years in a row where he won 10 plus games, eight, 200 yeah. innings, which is great. But it's just baseball is different. Major League Baseball as a whole, there has only been two pitchers a season that have won 20 games at all for any team since 2016. Three pitchers did it that year. I mean, it, it's. You just don't see guys because of the way the game has gone where the hooks are a lot quicker now and they manage you differently and stuff like that. That's why I don't know if we'll ever see a 300-game winner ever again because guys just don't get that type of opportunity. I was going to say that's the main thing. It's just that, um, you know, pitchers are pitching five and six innings and, you know, the bullpen guys are getting all the the wins or you're not out there for the decision because the game hadn't been decided for uh, your spin rate is down. You've been through the rotation, I mean, through the lineup twice. Time for you to go. And then the other thing, and I thought this was interesting, as I mentioned, John Gray, who the Rangers signed in free agency, is going to be their opening day starter. This will mean that, once again, the Rangers have not had the same pitcher start consecutive opening days. Let me guess. I'm going to say since, like, uh uh, let me get a real guess. Uh, I'm going to say since like uh, 1996 and 97. That's actually the second time, so you're not far off. <laughs> the last time it happened was Kevin Millwood, who started four straight openers from 2006 through 2009. Before that, 
It was Ken Hill in 96 and 97. That's who I was thinking of. <laughs> Not bad, man. Not bad. Everybody always forgets Kevin Millwood. But, you know, Kevin Millwood, and that's, that's right. Rick Helling and Kevin Millwood, to me, personify what Texas Rangers pitching has always been. Mm-hmm. Good starters. They'll eat innings, but there's nothing to lead about them whatsoever. Uh-huh. Kevin Millwood always reminded me of Sling Blade. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I can see that. Kevin Millwood was a good dude. Plus, y'all got to remember, because I know a lot of y'all are like, oh, my God, Taylor knew baseball like that? Yeah. Y'all got to remember, I was a general columnist, and so from 2007, pretty much for a decade, I spent a whole bunch of time out out with the Rangers. Mm -hmm. So I spent, I mean, I was out there 40, 50 games a year. So I knew quite a bit about the Rangers. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting fandom. Being a fan of the Texas Rangers is one of the more interesting teams that I think you can ever invest as much love as I have over the years into something like this. They are yeah. an interesting team to love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. You know, they're not real popular. Nobody outside of DFW really cares a rat's ass about the Rangers. They had two years where they did something, and they still couldn't win a title. And for the most part, they've kind of sucked. Wow. I mean, let's yeah. be honest. That's what it is. I mean, but those those they had a five-year run where they were great. Man, I, I will say this. If they ever win the World Series, I will cry tears of sheer just bliss and joy. That is the one franchise of mine that I actually think it would mean the most to me to see them win, and they have never won it. Nope. One strike away, baby. I don't know what you're talking about. So, <laughs> oh, I, I saw this little nugget, and I just thought, just speaking of baseball, this is so insane. The Oakland A's in 1991 had the highest payroll in baseball. They That year, their payroll was $33 million, 1991. That is the exact same number that the Oakland A's currently have for their payroll in 2022. That's ridiculous. I mean, oh my God. How is that? That that should be illegal. That Major League Baseball should make that illegal. Yeah, because then you had the Bash Brothers. You probably had Ricky Henderson. uh, Yeah, that part of that pitching staff when they were really good, whether it was Eckersley or Bob Welch or, you know. Dave Stewart, remember him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I used to um, love Dave Stewart, man. I don't even so, know why, but I used to love the A's. Like when the A's wore their home whites with that yellow and green, it just popped. It was a different look because nobody was rocking that, and they had the white shoes, and nobody yeah. was rocking. And they had the Bass Brothers, who nobody had. Yeah, that's true, man. I mean, they, they were, for a time, people forget, they were really, really good. God, man, how about this lineup? I, just, I was curious. The 1991 Oakland A's, Terry Steinbach, Mark McGuire, Mike Gallego, Ricky Henderson, Dave Henderson, Jose Canseco, and Harold Baines. That's a hell of a lineup right there, brother. That's not bad, dude. And then in their, on their staff, they had Andy Hawkins, Dave Stewart, Ron Darling was on that team. Holy hell, that was Todd Van Poppel. Remember him? Dennis Eckers- Eckersley, Rick Honeycutt. Man, they Bob Welch, and they put something together. Hell yeah. Bob Welch was on my fantasy team that year, I believe. Well, he was on my fantasy team the year he won 27 games, whatever year. That Damn, was. really? You played fantasy baseball way back then? The Sandusky Frenchman, baby. That really was ni- 1990. He went 27 and 6. See? That's why I remember that. I also had Eckersley with Damn, his 0.57 ERA. How'd you play fantasy? Like, who kept all the numbers and stuff for you guys? Um, that's when you really played fantasy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And so, and so, no, you really played fantasy, so you went – 
and got the paper and checked out the box scores every morning to see how your team did. Well, yeah, but did somebody like track all the stats in your league and stuff to make sure like who was doing uh, what? Yeah, somebody did it. And, you know, all of us were young agate clerks at the newspaper. So somebody did it there. I can't remember who, but yeah. Man, that is crazy. That is crazy. Because, I mean, there was no computer. You weren't doing computer stuff. It would all have to have, somebody was keeping track by hand and calculating all the numbers for the teams in your league. Yeah, because, like, I had a notebook where I used to keep my my players every year, and I used to, every morning I'd go through my notebook and write down what everybody did, you know, homers, ribbies, whatever. I can't remember how, you know, I need to, uh, I need to text, because I still, I stay in touch with a couple of my guys that I played with way back when. Man. And ask them, who, how did we keep track of this thing? Yeah, dude, because that is flat out wild. Uh, But we did. But you know what? Back then, I probably would have loved that because I, I I used to love tracking stats and, and box scores and all that from the paper. And now, obviously, I mean, hell, I do Excel spreadsheets for stupid crap all the time now. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. So I know we did it somehow, <laughs> some way. All right. So you got Rangers coming up and then we'll wrap it up here. But we, we got to mention tonight it is the national championship game. Kansas, as expected, I, I wasn't surprised at all by Kansas. And North Carolina, who again beats Coach K, his career is done. Duke falls in the Final Four. And I don't know if you watched that last night. I watched the, pretty much the entire second half. That game lived up to it, and that was a damn fun game back and forth at the end there with Duke and North Carolina. I was so disappointed. I watched the first half. Halftime came, and I fell asleep during halftime. <laughs> I bet you'll fall asleep during the national title game because it tips at 820. Not a, not a, odds are I'm not going to see the end of that, although I'll, I'll set my YouTube TV and, and watch it in the morning. Uh, but now that I thought the pace of the game was good, I thought the game was good. Yeah, I can't put my finger on why uh, I can't stay in Duke. Uh, a lot of people can't. Like, maybe it's because I like North Carolina first. Duke is all, one of my best friends went to Duke. Uh, and Duke, I don't know, Duke has always had a lot of haughtiness to him, and I think just because it's Coach K and it's... Well, it's a private school, a white preppy private school is kind of like the image that you yeah, get from it. And, uh, and it probably stems back to, okay, if I'm being honest, okay, if I'm being honest, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to grips with this as we're, as we're talking it out. It probably stems back to the 90s where Christian Leitner was as big a thug and if he was black, he would have never gotten away with all the shit that he did. And Bobby Hurley was, yeah. oh, the hardworking guy. He doesn't have any talent, which was bullshit. And they fit into all the uh, all the stereotypes. And then when they beat UNLV, it was like, oh, the good guys won. And that was all such bullshit. And so that's probably where my Duke, my hate for Duke stems from. Yeah, man. And, and I mean, to be fair, you look at w- with Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley, J.J. Redick, who kind of was like an asshole when he played for Duke, Grayson Allen, who's one of the biggest – college douchebags of all time you right. know uh, greg paulus uh, steve wojcikowski all those du- danny ferry even if you want to go back like way back into the late 80s all those dudes who just kind of lived up to that duke image you, right. you know that that like i don't know just that preppy whatever you want to call it that i think a lot of people hated you know and, and it's which i think is interesting because i i've never really wondered i guess north carolina is not as preppy but North Carolina, to me, kind of has like that same, like I don't see much of a difference between the two. Oh, I think North Carolina, uh, 
let me see. I mean, they had it with uh, Tyler, whatever his name was, Hansborough. Yeah, Tyler Hansborough, yeah. But outside of that, they normally have the Michael Jordan types. You know what I mean? Uh, so I don't know. Uh, but I never hated North Carolina the way I hated Duke. Well, fair enough. So we'll see. I, I think Kansas, to me, is the better team. I mean, Kansas is a one seed. Kansas has been playing crazy good basketball for a month now. They are a better team than North Carolina, but North Carolina obviously got hot at the right time and is more than capable of winning this thing. I, I do think Kansas will win, and if they do, it'll be a second title for Bill Self, the fourth title ever for Kansas, and that will match them with Connecticut has four, and then you got Indiana has five, North Carolina has six, Kentucky eight, UCLA eight, and, or 11, and, and those are the most winningest programs of all time. Duke has five as well, so those, those are the few. I realize how hard it is to win, but doesn't it seem like Kansas should have more than three titles? Yes. Dude, I was talking about that the other day. I mean, we are talking about. Wave the Wheat, one of the great programs in college yes. basketball, and they've only got three titles? I, I thought that, that of all the players who have played at Kansas and how great, like Roy Williams and now Bill Self, and you know, you go back through the greats of all time at Kansas and the coaching that they've had. And I thought the same thing. For, because right now, Kansas, I believe they have two more wins all time than Kentucky. They are the winningest men's basketball program in collegiate basketball history. And they only have three championships. And they only have one in the last 34 years. Since 1998? 1988. I mean, in 1988? Yeah, that Larry Brown. Miracles? Yeah. And before that, it was 1952. That seems insane to me. I, I thought the same thing for a program we look at the way that people look at Kansas, the fact that they've only ever won three and they have won since the late 80s is really like, you're like, huh. Interesting. Seems like you failed more often than not, I would think. Yeah, they're probably like North Carolina was. They've been to a bunch of Final Fours, but they haven't been able to seal the deal. Yeah, there's some of that because I want to say it was 2012 when they played for the national title and lost was the last time they were in the national title game. It's been that long since they've been in a title game, huh? Yeah. I mean, uh, dude, you look at it. So Kansas has been to the final four 16 times. Only North Carolina, UCLA, Duke, and Kentucky have been more than them. But like, that's, what's so interesting about a team like them to me is you look at Kansas, they've got three titles. Well, a team like Villanova hasn't been to the final four. They've been six times. They have three titles. Indiana's only been eight times. They have five titles. Kansas has three championships out of 16 appearances, although maybe it'll be four now because of this being their 16th appearance. Yeah, maybe they'll get it done. Maybe they'll get it done. Uh, I think they will. Uh, I'm not rooting for them. I don't really care who wins. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, have, I have been impressed by the point guard, Remy Martin, I believe. Yeah, he's a beast, man. He's a because uh, I saw them, obviously, in person when they played uh, at uh, Dickey's Arena. And I was really impressed by him. And it, so I actually read a couple stories of him because I knew he was a transfer. I'm like, what? why is he transferring? Transfer from Arizona State and didn't play that great when he first showed up, even though he was Big 12 Conference Player of the Year, which I thought was interesting because he ain't but about six feet or yeah. six one. Uh, but he's hit his stride in the, in the tournament, man, and he's been terrific. And, yeah. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I wonder if Carolina played their championship game against Duke. You know what I mean? I wondered that, too. Like, all that emotion and how high that you had to have been taking it down to, to get to that point. You wonder if just the, the, nas the natural emotional letdown on Monday 
plus Kansas just being a better team. Like, this is one of those games I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas wins by, like, 8 to 12 points. Like, one of those right on that area where North Carolina's in it. It's kind of like what we saw Kansas and Villanova. There were times where Kansas was way out, then Villanova would get back in it, and Kansas was just better. And just Villanova could never quite get them. I think that's what we're going to see against North Carolina. We'll see. Yeah, I see that. So, you know, whoever wins, uh, congrats if it was your team. And if not, maybe next year. (laughs) Sucks for you. All right, that's it for us. We will have Todd Archer coming up next time. We'll chat with him about all things Cowboys as we continue our look towards the draft. And, of course, Clarence Hill Jr. later in the week. You guys enjoy your week. Appreciate you listening. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.